had a cinnamon swirl. Yeah. Cinnamon swirl's great. Do you like do you like a cinnamon yes. swirl? Um, they smell so I'm good discovering. when they're being made, oh. when they're being baked. And they taste so nice. But they are the downside. You know, I'm having a little bit of time off from work, back on the school run, sorting the boys out, getting ready to get back into it. That's the downside. Yesterday, I don't know if this is normal. I met I met a couple of friends. Yes, I worked this out. This is awful. I went to throughout the course of the day, this oh, between 11 and 3 something, went to four different coffee shops. And I didn't have four cinnamon swirls. That'd be wrong. But you just go to a coffee shop, then you have to eat something. Yeah. So you maybe have a bit of cake or something yeah. and you have I have like a green tea or whatever. But this is this is not a healthy existence and as it's getting colder you sort of this is the downside to to not working it's the meeting friends for i don't want to put you off because i know you were going to come down with baby rog and we can still do that but i think we're gonna have to go for a run (laughs) is rog up for that okay i've got a running buggy for him so he can uh, is he because he likes that I, I, i can't i mean you know, I'm eating, eating a lot of cakes and things, catching up with people, which is lovely. But it's a, it's a slippery slope. Oh, it's so. always good to ca- catch up over tea and cake. Tea and biscuits oh. is another option. Oh, this is just, <laughs> you're not giving me a, a good option. So I'm having to run further every morning to compensate for what's going to happen later yeah, in the day. That's so how it works though, isn't um, it? I, I've already had one of those days because I went for a nice walk with a friend. And she said, why don't we end at this... It's a Danish bakery that sounds like Bang & Olufsen, but that's a that's a stereo. Don't they make stereos or something? Uh, like general sort of technical music, audio yeah. things. So it's not that, but it sounds like that. And they make a very good um, cinnamon swirl. So I just had to, yeah, it's a, I've got to sort myself out. So if you and baby Rog want to come and visit, bring the running buggy uh, and we're off. Okay, okay? great. We'll, we'll, we'll just go keep going until yeah. we've earned ourselves, you're going to be a, like, ourselves a cinnamon swirl. And I mean, then it just sort of negates everything we've just done. And now you're going to be like, oh, you know, I was going to come visit. I'm busy. I can't. I'm just going to keep putting it off. <laughs> um, tennis, I was... We always say this, but I did, um, I did a Roger Federer show for Five Live recently, all about Roger Federer with Russell Fuller. And we spoke to Kevin Anderson, who is... Oh, he's lovely. Isn't he lovely, Kevin So Anderson? nice. He's like, so lovely and he was just sorting out his daughter kira before he came oh just such a lovely man uh, we had a lot of different voices in there there was sue barker in there and one of the main voices on on the hour with russell and myself was chris clary from the new york yeah. times and we started off by saying i start by saying something we talk about like tennis is it's the gift that keeps on giving i just want a couple of weeks without a gift you know yeah <laughs> i feel it's, it's been quite yeah. full on hasn't it <laughs> yes yes like, if you're if you're a really big legendary player don't retire i don't know don't retire in 2022 we've done it we've had two back to back yeah i think we're all kind of you know even chris was saying i think he was getting to the monday then he was having a little bit of downtime but it just it, it's wonderful on one hand but it's non-stop and i'm just like can can it just be a little bit quieter i've said this bit. before i mean tennis just has a way of have just there's always a news story especially the past I don't know what maybe two three years maybe longer than that yeah it's just relentless because we do have such big superstars and it means that you know they make any sort of announcement it's big news and yeah it's uh yeah it is a an extraordinary thing and I, I still try and understand how tennis 
or individuals in the sport can cut through doesn't necessarily translate into people playing tennis or necessarily watching tennis um but anyway yeah just yeah it is it's relentless every every month feels like there's something there's something pretty (laughs) big but then saying that i've just said it's relentless yeah i started the podcast talking about cinnamon swirl which would tell the listener that maybe there isn't this bursting piece of news that we just had to get out at the very beginning. It's not breaking news, no. There's no, there's no breaking news now. Everybody's sort of up to speed. It's been a slightly quieter week. We watched the yeah. end of Lever Cup, and it just generally is quieter post-US Open, especially, you know, the calendar's different now as well. We don't have the big Chinese tournaments that we had on the WTA Tour. And, uh, yeah, we've had Davis Cup, Lever Cup, so the Cups are done uh, and then now and we needed, we needed Team World for. Uh, I, this is a very dramatic statement. I don't think I mean it this dramatically for the survival of the Labour Cup, but you know, keep it around that Team World needed to win. Well, they did, but I still maintain this, even though we know the result and we know that they won, in that they had no chance of winning. So I don't. <laughs> I don't really understand how we're here because they had no chance of winning. They beat a team with the 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 big four in it. They beat a team with Djokovic, no, no, but come on. the best no, player but come in the on. world, and Nadal, the second best player in the world. No, but come on, we had we had we had Andy Murray, and we love Andy Murray and everything, but it, but it's not the Andy Murray of the big four days. Yeah. We had we had Roger Federer, who I think we saw how he played, and it was so wonderful that. That was even tough for him to do that. And the knees, not there. Nadal's had his problems through through the years. So, it, yes, I know it was the it was the big... And, and Djokovic ended up saying there were wrist problems. I know he, he went to Tel Aviv, but... So it, it was, but it wasn't the big four? Yeah, it was, it was, but it wasn't. Maybe on paper it looked silly, but it still felt like a, <laughs> an almighty challenge for yeah. Team World, whose best player was Francis Tierfo. It's just... Uh, it's just baffling like <laughs> they they managed to win um but it's sort of the nature of the way that they've done the scoring as well that you know points um matches are worth much more, many more points in the the last day than they are on others and that sort of thing but yeah it was it was fun it, it was difficult because it was the Roger Federer show it was all about him playing with Rafa and it was all about the interactions between Rafa Novak and Federer I think particularly lots of people very interested in that and yeah for the most part pretty much until going into the last match we realized that Team World could win no one paid attention to Team World at all (laughs) forgot they're even there I feel so bad but for good reason because it was the Roger Federer show but yeah and then suddenly it was oh wow they could actually win this and there you go then they did I just, I just actually looking at results from. I think in terms of the future, I think it was good for Team World to win because I think it could have got to the point where maybe people wouldn't have wanted to join Team World. They think we're just going to get beaten in terms of people going to watch it. I know we've talked about it being an exhibition, but I think it, I think it needs to be competitive. I think it needs to be. I think they, I think they needed that win to give them a bit of hope <laughs> because they were probably like us. But I was looking at the results. One person I, not to be worried about is Stefan or Sitsipas. Where's, where's Sitsipas? So you lost to TFO. Are you TFO or TFO before we continue? Well, I don't know. I always was TFO, but then I feel like more people say TFO than they say anything else. So I'm going with that now. Okay. I'm flexible. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I w- I'm flexible. I was always TFO, but I'm exactly like you. So TFO um, came through and beat 
Sitsipas. I know Sitsipas had a very convincing one against Diego Schwartzman. Are we concerned that Sitsipas is standing still a little and people are overtaking him, or is that just normal in the in the the life cycle of of tennis? It's normal. There's no reason to be concerned, but he absolutely is drifting a bit. Um, mm. Yeah, and he feels like. You know, little down on confidence. I mean, in comparison, remember how well he played that clay court season where he reached the final of um, the French Open. And, you know, he managed to defend his title in Monte Carlo, but I thought it was quite interesting because, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm digging into <laughs> the stats that I did at Monte Carlo, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that Monte Carlo is the only Masters event that he's won. So he won it in... 2020 and then he defended his title in wait no he won it in 2021 and then defended it in 2022 but he hadn't won a masters in between then so that was sort of a bit bizarre he has been in the final of uh, a slam look casper rude's won a masters now um after being in now he's been in two finals of slams and you know it it yeah it, it it's just faded a little bit for for Sitsipas, hasn't it he, he's still there he's still thereabouts he's always a threat because you never know when he's going to get his game together and go on a, a run. But it just feels like mentally you're not going to back him against big players in big matches. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's exactly that. And I think it's interesting now as we get towards the end of this year, they're moving to next, how things shuffle about. And I think we can put Tiafo in that conversation of how he's going to, you know, beats Nadal, reaches his first Grand Slam semi-final, plays and wins in Federer's, final match that doubles with Jack Sock helps Team World to win I mean the, these are really good times for Francis Tiafoe I know he's someone that we've talked about for a long time and he said it was almost good where the ranking went down and the pressure was off him but it's gonna be really interesting to see where he can take where he can take this next you know but coming back to confidence because he at the moment's got all the confidence in the world oh it was just so much fun watching him do what he did in New York he just is so much fun but what was great is that he just got on with business. I remember commentating on his matches and thinking, okay, when's he mentally going to go off a bit? When's he going to start throwing in these yeah. silly decisions? When's that going to come and that's going to really turn the match around? And he just didn't do it. And you can't afford to do that against Nadal. It doesn't work. Um, and he just didn't do it round after round after round. And But he still was able to maintain his character. And that's always the balance because it's something I've said a lot. When you try and rein in players, whether it's personality-wise, decision-making, aggression, whatever it might be, when you try and rein them in, sometimes they can go stale because they don't have that spark, that flair, the bit of them that makes them good it's hard to control it's an incredibly difficult job as a coach and you've got to give huge credit to Wayne Ferreira who's been working with him now for a number of years because it's quite specialist and I think there are a lot of coaches on tour that don't know how to do that and then there are some that I think that specialize in that a little bit more I think they're quite good at going okay right you got all this stuff to use (laughs) let's work out how we're going to use it it's not about withdrawing it it's about how you're going to use it so what I loved more than anything about TFO is that he wasn't just getting on with business and just being a totally different person he was still himself but the tennis he was playing was much more professional much more disciplined he still was smiling with the crowd he he still had that relaxed personality so that's really tough because a lot of the time what comes with that relaxed personality is the loss of discipline that's 
that's sort of how it works. They all it always tends to go hand in hand. So to find that balance, he was clearly having a whale of a time. But every shot, every de- decision was spot on of the very, very highest level. And we know that he's a phenomenal athlete. We know that he has huge amounts of power. He's got the shots. It was always about the mentality. So it is very exciting, but it's also hard to maintain that because as much as he has developed that, it's not his natural being. It's not his natural character when things get stressful. It's all very well when you're having a breakthrough run in New York and beating Nadal, but when things get stressful, when things get tight, when the pressure is on, is he going to revert back? Because that will be the pull. That will be the natural pull inside of him to to go back it's hard to maintain and that's why again you know we were talking about Federer and his game style and how it just doesn't make any sense even just looking at physics as to how he was able to be (laughs) so consistent playing in that such high risk game style he made it seem like it wasn't high risk at all it's in the same way with his personality there's lots of stories and we all remember when he first was on the tour he had quite a temper he really had to get that under control and change his behavior but he managed to change his behavior for the long term as in you could just guarantee that he was gonna of course there's he's gonna grumble a little bit and there's a few shouts here and there but largely he was pretty unflappable and we didn't see that character again it's another thing that is just so unattainable for everybody else you know you do see people get it together but then it just falls away you know you can look at say someone like Garbina Muguruza you know once she gets on the right path and she is able to make the right decisions and have the confidence you know she's absolutely flying but she can't maintain it for that long so she's always going to slip back away again it's just a period of time so look the likelihood is as it is for a lot of players, that this will last for six months, nine months, something like that, and then it it might slide a little bit again. But um, you never know. Maybe maybe this is it. This is the new Francis. On a just mentioned Roger Federer's temper. I mentioned that show I did recently, and one story Chris Clary remembered was from Roger Federer's junior days. There was a tournament he had lost, and while most of the boys were having their picnics with their family around the side of the court, he had to be dragged crying from under the the chair umpire's chair because he was so distraught at what had happened. And the one story I I found was his, his father. He was driving back from a junior tournament one day, and he was in the back of the car. And he was going on and on about losing. And he just going on and on and on. His dad got to the point, And I don't think you could do this. Well, maybe I don't think you could do this today. Maybe you couldn't do it then. His dad was so annoyed. He stopped the car. He opened the door. He took Roger out. And he put his head in the snow to cool him down. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit, <laughs> that's a bit I mean, much, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine driving along? And there's some dad sort of putting his head. He said, I just wanted him, wanted him to cool down. And when you look back you know at at those stories as you say how he managed to change it to become zen so he's gone from that having his head put in the snow to cool him down and he said he was embarrassed by his behavior and what his parents had to witness to being called zen-like on court is but that's that's a change that's a change you have to want to make as well isn't it I mean that's a that's a massive overhaul but it but it is also just quite a skill, I think, for anyone in life to change behaviour or their sort of character yeah. traits is incredibly difficult. And in times of stress, you always revert back to the thing you're trying to manage, the thing you're trying to control. And whether there are players on tour who 
have to deal and manage with anxiety, like Garbinia Muguruza, like that's that's one example, or confidence, like a Diego Schwarzman, for example, very low on confidence, and all of a sudden, you know, that that's gone away. Or we were talking about Grigor Dimitrov last week, or whether it's the anger and the frustration that we see with plenty of players, like Federer had. It, you can keep a lid on it for a time, but it is you, there has to be some sort of outlet. And if there isn't an outlet, then it, it tends to release when you're in the high-pressure situation, which is on court with millions of people watching. So it can be um, difficult when that's happening. And you know it's happening as well. <laughs> you know exactly what's happening, but you can't, you can't do anything about it. So another thing as to why it was just so phenomenal with, with watching... Federer and what he achieved because he just changed he changed the rules so much like we were talking about the physics of his game like it just that no one else can play like that no one can do it you either do it like Grigor Dimitrov does so high risk that you can't play consistently you know or you just or you do what everybody else does and you don't do it (laughs) because it's too stupid (laughs) to do uh and yeah so it's just another (laughs) another pretty uh, impressive thing and and it is a trait of all of the top players they they they're all very good at um you know managing things but we see even Djokovic you know every so often it slips out it it does and uh, he does revert and he's got to sort of get a grip of it again and and push forward he does a very good job of keeping a lid on it but it's not easy it's not easy I mean think about I mean last year when he was going for the golden slam the ultimate pressure and my word, did he disintegrate? Absolutely. Dis- the, the sort of person that you think everyone talks about him. There's no weaknesses. There's nothing to get at. You can't break him down. He's just so solid. Every match, it's just a nightmare to play against. And he just completely disintegrated. And oh, it was oh, unbelievable oh, to watch. Wow. You know, so, yeah, sure. Federer's had situations when he's been match points or championship points at Wimbledon and lost. And he's he's had difficult things to deal with and who knows what happens behind the scenes afterwards as I say there needs to be an outlet somewhere who knows what goes on but yeah just ridiculously impressive I feel we've launched into a Roger Federer pod which we weren't planning to do I know yeah we weren't planning to do <laughs> I, I, we're supposed to be talking that. about Francis poor Francis <laughs> I did that Djokovic swear of match the Olympics and wow the pressure and then at the U- US Open and he's and you see the tears as he sits at his chair. Oh. And, and it's, but it's interesting because it, it gets you thinking about how people deal with pressure. I can't believe Nick Kyrgios's name didn't come up in that little chat there. But he's someone who is turning things around, is changing, does still revert back to it. Someone else is Alexander Bublik, who it feels recent. You must have seen it. Everyone's seen it. Have they all seen it? Yeah. The Mets. In the fight. <laughs> there is a time and a place for... For tweeners and underarm says, but like what? It, it, so it made me think: Is that a pressure thing? Is that a fear of failing, of winning? What, what is that? What what is in someone's mind during a final against Lorenzo Sonigo? And actually, that point, so he hit the ball with a handle of his racket. It led to Son- um, Sonigo getting a double break ultimately. But what is that pressure? What I mean, what what goes through someone's mind well, to do that? I think in in general, it can be pressure and when we when we talk about pressure for anyone who's who's not experienced it it's very similar to day to day as in you cannot think straight when you are really emotional right that's just that goes for everybody in life you can't yeah, think straight true. you can't yeah. talk straight you say things you don't mean you make terrible decisions and it's basically the same thing when you're on the court 
when you are under that much pressure, that much stress, that much emotion on the court, which everybody is at times, you cannot think straight. So you think that hitting an underarm serve at, at this particular stage in the match is a good idea. And as soon as you hit it, you realise that was a terrible idea. This is not an appropriate <laughs> time to be doing it. And, you know, or as I say, you, you just you change that into something a little bit more simple of just like slapping a, a second serve return down the line for a winner because you think, I can do that. And then you realise, actually, that is like just thinking about it. If I had just taken a bit more time to think about it, that is not a sensible thing to do. You've also got to manage your heart rate because when your heart rate gets high and stays high, you genuinely have less oxygen in the brain, makes it more difficult to think clearly as well. So that's often when you see the end of a really, really long point when everybody's gassed and then the one player has that really easy finish and they just do something dumb. And it's just, it's just, there's no oxygen in the brain. there. That's just a complete (laughs) shutdown. So that's what we mean when we talk about these pressure situations. It's stress. You know, when you're under that much stress, people don't think straight, even the very best in the world. And well, the very best in the world are better at doing that than others. Public, I don't know if it's stress. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure. I mean, I've been watching him for a number of years now. And I, I just sometimes, I just wonder whether he's actually that competitive. I just wonder whether, he, I, I don't think he's that bothered if he then went on to lose that match in Mets. I think he probably would think about it afterwards and be like, oh, I would have rather won it. But I, I don't know if it's stress. It could be a defense mechanism before it gets stressful. So sometimes people do yep. that. They'll start going, I can't do it because they don't want to put themselves in that situation. I can't just play properly. I'm going to do this. And he has a real tendency on really big points to do really stupid stuff. That's that's what he does. But yeah, I just wonder whether he just is entertaining himself. Um, it's difficult, <laughs> isn't it? It's difficult. Because something like Kyrgios, he never said until this year he never said I really want to do it and I want to do my best but he's done that this year and now he is doing his best which is turns out to be pretty good um as most people were expecting um but for public I think maybe he's in the same situation I don't think he is he has said I want to be the best I can be there's always an assumption from everybody outside of the world of tennis all of the journalists all the media that I speak to they always assume that every single person in the top 100 is trying to be the best they can possibly be. And it's just not the case. And I just don't think the public is one of them. I, I don't think he wants to be the best he can be at the moment. That might change like we've seen with Kyrgios. But at the moment, I just, I just don't. I think he just wants to be doing enough, making good living, having a nice life, having some fun on the court. I don't know. Is that harsh? Again, no. And again, and then again, there's nothing wrong with that because we've had conversations before and I've said to you, why wouldn't you want to be the very best and get everything out of you and you're like you know if you're in the the top 50 the, the top 100 you're getting into all the grand slams you're making a really good living maybe maybe that was your goal not everybody will have the goal of being number one and will put that effort in so so and I think recently fairly recently he became a dad I believe public to a little boy um that can and cannot change people's way of thinking but he's making he's making a good look he just feels he might not care but when it's a final you think I would think logically I've done all that work to get to the final. So if I can just focus for this final, 
you know, you win the title and that's lovely. I, I don't know, there's that logic bit would think... I see what you mean, because you're there until the end of the ceremony anyway, so you're not... The, the option of sort of bailing out and going home isn't really there, because you've got you're there. there. You have you've to done all there. that. Yeah, you, you've, <laughs> you've been there away. a week. You, you've got there. You've obviously had to put hard work in at times. It wasn't all a breeze to get there. So you focused at some point. So why not... But is it a, a defence mechanism of he's down a bit, thinks he's going to lose, so then just self-destruct? So it's... Well, I mean, if we just, if anyone's not seen it, I mean, he, what he hit the ball with the grip of his racket. He turned the racket yep. around, hit it with the grip yep. of his racket, which I watched him do not that long ago. I cannot remember which tournament it was. It might have been Indian Wells or Miami. And he won the point. Miami. It's Miami. Miami, wasn't it? it? Miami. Yeah, that was yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but I think he won the point there. Um, so, <laughs> look, this time it was in a final and he lost the point. You know, it's obviously not really. <laughs> He's obviously not really that bothered. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a, I, I see what you mean, that, that you're in the final. Like, you've, you've done all of the hard work. Yeah. Now it's just the match. Just play the match. See if you can win. It's like a waste of a week. It feels like a waste of a week. You, you've gone there for a reason. So, it, it, and even if, I don't, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's, but it's, it's different mindsets. <laughs> Um, so that was getting a lot of social media traction. Something else that was getting a lot of social media traction was Emma Raducanu because she was doing really well in the Korean Open. Obviously, the rankings gone down since the US Open. It's kind of settled in what the 70s, 80s it had. Um, so still, there is still a lot of attention and focus on her. But what we saw again was a withdrawal in the semifinals against Elena Ostapenko. Um, so my question to you uh, as a non-athlete who now eats a lot of cinnamon swirls, <laughs> is a diet of one hundred percent cinnamon swirls. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Um, do, when do do we need to worry about the amount of injuries? When do we start to worry? Because initially, people said she hadn't played a lot of tennis on tour. Now she's played a bit more. She's a little bit older. So where are we with? Should we be worried? Is it just different? But only like, where are you at with this? I sort of bounce around with it, to be honest, because I think yep. there are two ways of viewing it. You know, one, if we look, take all of the positives, you can say that, well, she's not picking up any serious injuries like other young players have done. Sophia Kennan, for example, completely derailed her career with a big injury. I'm so sure sad. it's not her fault. Uh, Bianca Andreescu, who pushed through injuries and if we're being blunt about it, it was quite immature and her team didn't stop her from doing that. And that has massively derailed her career, hugely derailed her career. And it's going to take whether she gets back on track. We don't even know yet. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, so you, you could look at it and you can say, well, she's managing these injuries by pulling out of these matches. They're only ever very small injuries. She, she's often back on court within a few days practicing that, you know, she's not pulling out and is out for a couple of months with tendonitis you know, none of that. It's it's that she's trying to prevent, or you could see that she's trying to prevent these major injuries. And look, she hasn't had a major injury. She's had constant niggles, but she has not been in the oh, situation of Andrescu, of, of Kenin, and there are others as well. Um, so yeah, you can sort of say, well, she's doing a good job. She's still out there week in, week out. She's still playing. She's She's not really missing any tournaments because of it. Uh, she missed a bit of the grass court season. That was a, a real bummer for her. Um, but again, that was only a couple of weeks. And she was, you know, healthy, fit and healthy and fine at Wimbledon, really. So, yeah. Um, but then on the other side of things, it, it obviously is concerning if the only way to manage your body is to continue to pull out. 
of tournaments because I think that was her fourth withdrawal in mid-batch in the year. And it's, yeah, I, and then you sort of look at it from the other perspective and it's not like she's that young. She's 20 in a month. So I, I recognise, obviously, when she won the US Open, she had literally not been on tour. She was not a tour player <laughs> at all. So there was some ground to make up, but she's had a full year now of saying... I need to get stronger. I need to get the body right. I need to get used to this level. But it's it's a year now. So I think most players would be used to that, especially because she's turning 20 soon. So your body's mature. You know, you're sort of um, uh, at that stage. So I don't know. Some days I get frustrated. Just as an Emma fan, obviously, I was thinking, okay, right, the pressure's been released now from the US Open because the ranking's down where it should be. You know, we were all, we were just waiting for that. To, to happen and then she started winning matches in Seoul and it was I, I sort of thought okay right here we go now she can play properly now she can actually get on with business and then she got stopped there at that semi-final and had to pull out um, and then you just think ah oh, can't you just finish the match because there's another school of thought there's, there's one element of protecting your body which is obviously the way that Emma is going but a lot of other players they think you need to toughen up your body you need to get out there you need to go through the battles you need to really you know you need to feel fatigued you need to feel like you're in a bit of pain your body needs to be used to that it's sort of like um hard skin on your feet you know if you have a pedicure like Marin Chilich will tell you it's not oh, it's not it's not good news because your soft skin soft. on your feet is not good you're too soft you need to be sort of worn out a little bit you need to be battle hardened to be ready to go so yeah, I don't know. It's difficult, as I say. Like being totally honest, I bounce around with it, and it's sort is there of a mental. <laughs> is there a mental side to it? Could it a, a fear of I don't know what it is. A fear of so is there a mental aspect to it? Not just the body getting niggles. Well, I is thought a combination? I thought there could have been a mental aspect to it last year because she was ranked number ten in the world and she wasn't the tenth best player in the world. Like you know, it was a very weird, inflated ranking. All completely valid and and earned by her but it just didn't match her game style so I could understand that mentally she would feel quite fragile quite vulnerable um but I did feel like oh after US Open and then she started winning matches in Seoul I was thinking oh okay right here we go everything that all that has been released so I'm not sure whether it's mental or whether it's just that's the approach the approach is I will not let myself get a serious injury and I will do anything it takes to prevent that from happening but the problem is, is that every single tennis player will tell you that you do not play a week on tour without some sort of niggle. Everybody does. So if that is her mentality, then she will just continue to pull out quite frequently because, you know, that's that's life on tour. You're right, isn't it? Do you take a big chunk of time off? Can you afford to at her age, her stage? Or do you just plough on through and, and play lots of matches? I do want to say at this point, because we did talk about Roger Federer, I'm now bouncing around, that... Um, Evan, who I mentioned last week, called him Ethan, so apologies, Evan. Um, the Roger Federer memorabilia can still be bid for. It's all in aid of a fabulous mental health charity that they set up um, in memory of their son, who they lost through suicide. I'm going to repost the link, but that's still that's still out there, and people can bid on that. So, Evan, sorry about the name. Honestly, it's sort of old age and not working. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? It all it all falls to pieces. <laughs> His brain's turned to mush. It's, my brain is turned to mush. I can say I've got baby brain, but my twins are now quite a few years. Yeah, no. <laughs> I yeah, can't even... I've still got baby brain. I mean, he'll be, <laughs> Roger will be two in a 
in a couple of months. <laughs> oh, you can you can definitely keep baby brain. I think I kept it. I think with twins I pushed. I think you keep it to two probably is acceptable. Okay, I got it to th- I got it to three. Um, but I think mine are what now seven. So it's probably stretching it a little bit. Um, I something I want to talk about. This is it's a real heart pull on the heartstrings. Is Juan Martín del Potro? Oh, don't do oh, it to me. Oh, I tell you, I, I can't. I, I can't. I, I mean, honestly don't think I can. Ch- You're going to have just, to talk about this. I can't. I just I can't don't do it. It's just, oh, this man's story is heartbreaking. Everything with Roger Federer is very sad and we saw the tears and it was the knee that ultimately led to his retirement, but he was 41, what he'd achieved. He'd had a while to get used to it, although I know saying it out loud is different, etc., etc. But Juan Martín del Potro recently did uh, an article, was it with a, a Spanish or South American publication, just talking about the loss of, of tennis and, and just being this massive hole in this void of of everything he could have been 2000 and 2009 US Open champion it's 2009 yeah um, I think he wasn't he like 19 when he won yeah and then yeah and then immediately the injuries and it wasn't just the wrists that he's battled back from but he's had two fractured kneecaps who has one he has two and and he said he's d- despite the fact he tried this year played a match then said goodbye he has pain walking upstairs he can't run. He can't. He's still trying to find solutions. He's still trying to go to doctors. He's still trying to get answers. And he just feels so lost without tennis. I mean, what more does that fella have to go through? It's just, it's difficult, isn't it? I don't think he was 19, actually. I think he might have been 21 or something like that. 21, 22. But he had the very whole young. career, whole tennis career ahead of him. Yeah. At that stage. And the thing is, is that no one... No one remembers what doesn't happen, right? It doesn't matter oh, what the reason yeah. is. It doesn't matter what the reason is that you're not on tour. Um, you know, and and people forget. They forget how good he was. He would have genuinely been a consistent part of the big four, would have been big five. And 100%. I would have loved to have seen if he could have really infiltrated that big three. He could have, could have like he could have with the way that he played. I remember watching him in Rome when he came back from, I think it was his second injury off, and he came, like he just flew up to the top of the sport every single time. I mean, yeah. the forehand is the biggest around. It's the there's there's nothing on tour right now that even touches uh, how big his forehand is. Like, just <laughs> there, there's there isn't. There's no one. No. Um, his forehand would get gasps from the crowd all the time. Always go and watch the video of the biggest Del Potro forehands. It's the best video on YouTube, <laughs> I think, hands down. I love it. And, um, yeah, you know, it, I was thinking, I was talking about, about it to somebody else the other day. It wasn't about Juan Martin. It was about Monica Sellers and how people forget how much of a phenomenon she was because the career got cut short. But, you know, she had, oh, I'm, I'm going to mess up the numbers here, but I think she'd won, what, eight or nine slams? Eight, eight or nine slams as a teenager. It was absolutely bonkers. She won, like, nine out of 11 slams. It was just... An extraordinary, it's unbelievable. An extraordinary unbelievable. situation, and I mean, you talk about Serena's twenty-three. I mean, she would have, she would have been up there, possibly more than that. You just, but shoulda, woulda, coulda. It's, it's just unfortunately sometimes, yeah, life gets in the way, doesn't it? And it sort of pushes back. It resists these things. So yeah, people forget. Um, and then, and then what happened? You know, Sellers was there ready for a rival we was rivalry with Steph, Steffi Graf. You say rivalry, 
she might have actually just dominated her. It might have been like a Serena and Maria Sharapova rivalry that wasn't really yeah. a rivalry. It was just very one-sided. You don't know. Completely. And then Graf went on to get the Golden Slam and to do all of these things and have this fabulous career. And we all talk about Graf because of what she's uh, she's achieved. It's just, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. And, and, you, I'll, and I will you... watch that video of Del Potro's biggest forehands tonight. But I thought it was interesting. When I brought up Del Potro, you said, you're going to have to talk about it. I can't. And then you managed to talk about Monica Seles instead of Del Potro. It's, it's just, it's hard. I can't it's, talk about it. No, it's you because know he's it, been one of my favourites. Yeah, it's, of it's my whole it's, life in tennis. One of my favourites. Obviously, yeah. no one touches Andy, but that's because Andy's Andy. He's British, and you know yeah. I've been around him since I was tiny. But tough, I mean, oh. Juan Martin. Tell, we can't. We can't end on this note. We can't end on the point. You look like you're about to burst into tears. Well, why I don't? We why don't we? We what? should end on it, and I'll go and watch that video, and then I'll feel better. You're you're going to go and watch the video, and finally, <laughs> can you just give me one piece of advice? Uh, boys are off to tennis today. One of the twins is determined now. That's his sport. He's going to do it. I need to give him nice. a bit of advice because he's so keen. He put. He get. He put. He's only. He's only little. He's the smaller one. But he puts everything. He wallops everything. And how do I tell him? The coach is really good, but. And he's really good with his coordination, but he just hits everything like it's the last ball he's ever going to hit. How do I tell him yeah. he doesn't need to... What, what words can I put to a seven-year-old that... Ooh. I mean, just have fun. It's but a tough just, one. It's a tough one with the kids, it. though, because, you know, we've got a zone that you've got to try and hit. That's the thing. It's all about scoring points, the amount of times you hit the zone. He leaves so the you want to... Yeah, exactly. That's other he, sports. There are other sports. <laughs> I think he thinks he's got to leather it for it to be good. I'm like, just a li- maybe a little bit off that, that ball. While his brother, who's a team sport man, he's kind of doing the downward dog on the side, spinning his racket. You know, he's, he's kind of I'm like, OK, there's no focus. <laughs> so I've got, I've got one who's doing sort of weird downward dog things in the corner of the court and the other one like leathering the ball. I'm like, all right, boys, you have fun. So, um. Well, yeah, he is having fun and he's just decided this is what he wants to be his sport. So I say let him go with it for a little bit and then he'll start to realise that he needs to get the ball in at times. It took me about 10 years to realise that. Did it? Marvellous. <laughs> All right. Nothing to worry about then. We've got time. We've My got coach years. My used to always say to me we, when I was little, when I was probably yeah, like eight or nine, we used to go and you have like a caged court. So it's just a, a, a single court with fence all around it. So it's called a cage thing. And um, yeah, he always said to me that we would end up, we'd go out of the gate and have to go and pick up the balls from outside of the cage. <laughs> there were more balls outside the cage than there were in the cage, <laughs> let alone hitting the court. I had no chance. <laughs> That is, that is a lovely, happy thought to leave it on. <laughs> uh, we will be back with more next week. How about that? Yeah. Good luck on the tennis. Thanks very much. Bye. Enjoy the video.